everyone wants to talk about cryptocurrency. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, all of these coins. And the question is, what does it all mean? Today, I'm going to talk with Stephen Wealthy about Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the cryptocurrency universe and what this means for you as we dive deep on this topic. Welcome to the Delve Into Money podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. This is the personal finance podcast where we attempt to demystify money by reviewing books and applying what we learn to our own financial journeys. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode 15 of the Delve Into Money podcast. I'm super excited for this episode. Today, I'm bringing on a guest, Stephen Wealthy from Twitter, and he has a blog where each week he focuses on different people. He, this last Saturday, actually did an article where he interviewed me, and so if you're interested in that, I will link it in the show notes. I really enjoyed getting to talk with him via that article, and I really enjoyed this conversation on crypto. It was deep, and we just went and went and went. So I'm actually spitting this into two episodes. So this first week, we're going to talk a little bit about Stephen's story, and then we're going to go into uh, a little bit of understanding Bitcoin and Ethereum, and then we get into basically why the risks of owning uh, these cryptocurrencies, and we talk a lot about uh, government and the way that they're interacting with the cryptocurrencies. And then next week, we're going to deep dive into Ethereum and then talk about why you and why Stephen recommends that you own cryptocurrencies. And so without further ado, let's jump right in to this interview. So we were going to start kind of talking about uh, you know, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of these things. And I know that you have uh, been in it and really dove deep in the last couple of years. So tell me just kind of your money story and what got you to the point of being interested in cryptocurrencies. Right. So um, I had heard, so I think it's mainly like most people with with cryptocurrencies, it kind of starts with Bitcoin. That's kind of the grandfather, granddaddy, or king of them all. So that's kind of the first one that you hear about. Um, and I, I, I'd heard about it in uh, 2013, 2014, 16, 17, almost, you know, when it makes the news headlines and it's doing these nice surges up to what in 2017 it hit 20K. And then, you know, you, catches your eye you're kind of curious you want to know a little bit about it i think your initial my initial thought at least so i don't want to pull you know it was it's probably a scam there's probably not a whole lot of value behind it it's probably not anything mm-hmm. more than just some pump and dump thing uh and then when it comes crashing back down into the you know two three thousand you kind of pat yourself on the back and say see told you <laughs> <laughs> i knew it i knew it was gonna crash sort of thing and then, um, 
you know, going through COVID, uh, I had a hard time just with work and stuff. It was difficult to, um, I like I lost my job in March, 2020, had some time off, started doing a, a house flip. Uh, we did as a family together to kind of fill the time, made some really good investments during that time as well too like i was able to make some moves that really helped i mean you can probably imagine how that that could have played out nicely just with the dip and a really strong uh recovery after that and you know got on twitter and started reading various posts and tweets and stuff and there's guys always talking about bitcoin i thought you know let's look into this right so i started reading about it sounds sounds interesting and then the trading platform that i was using at the time they introduced crypto uh, so they you know kind of like a robin hood type of thing they say hey let's let's introduce crypto trading platform i go on there and you can buy bitcoin and ethereum i said well let's just do it everyone's talking about it let's just throw 10 bucks in so i did my, my first purchase of bitcoin i think it was at like thirteen thousand dollars or something like that put 10 bucks in and uh, I, don't know, I forget how much Satoshi's that is. It's not very much or anything like that. But uh, so that's what I did. And then I think it's once you kind of get that first little taste and then you start saying, okay, should I buy more? And you start reading about it. And I think for me, it was two things. It was, it's a deflationary currency, which I've never had access to before. Of course, you know, during the whole 2010 to 2020 it was always available but like from an investment standpoint it was never on my horizon it was never this available thing to get into and here's a deflationary currency and so my whole you know i've been investing into etfs the whole time i'm fighting inflation i'm getting paid with the currency and i've got to try and put it into something that's not going to be inflated away from me and i just i wish i would have known that bitcoin was deflationary a long time ago that it's getting scarcer that here's an opportunity to add, to have something in your portfolio, to diversify it. And then that, that, that's how I see it. It's, it's, it's a di- diversification asset. It's not my focus, although on Twitter it probably sounds like that. But it's just to diversify away inflation risk and uh, other risk from other assets in the portfolio. So deflationary and then decentralized. So um, you know it's not controlled by any one governing authority you know, the Federal Reserve, in my case, the Bank of Canada, it's not controlled by them. Um, and I think in a, in, to some degree that scares them. And that also makes them a little uh, feel threatened that there's a deflationary currency that goes against their inflationary currency and they cannot control it. And I really like that idea of having that in my portfolio, that there's this kind of anomaly asset, if you will. What made you go, because you can believe all that, but what made you go all in from from that to now being super invested into it? And obviously we'll talk about later what like what that looks like in far as your overall portfolio, but, but what kind of got you to the point of being excited to the point of just kind of going all in and, and really putting uh, more money in? Well, yeah. So, so first thing, and uh, you say going all in, so just, um, Let's frame that a little bit. So I'm 18% of my of my net worth is in cryptocurrencies. Uh, of that, 8% is in Bitcoin and 10% is in Ethereum. So maybe we, if we could go into Ethereum. Uh, I'm working with a fellow at the time, and I said, "Hey, I just bought 10 bucks worth of Bitcoin." He says, "Oh, congratulations! You know, good, good on you. 
good move. That should work well. Have you seen Ethereum? And I said, no. He's like, you got to look at Ethereum. I'm like, well, I mean, <clears throat> one's good enough, you know, type of thing. <laughs> <What do> I, <laughs> yeah. You know, because in the back of your head, you know that there's like this forest of cryptocurrencies. You know that like, as soon as I, you know, just I did one, I don't need to have 14,000 in my brain. <laughs> there's way right. too many. There's no need. So he said, no, but you got to look at Ethereum. So I'm like, well, what's Ethereum? And he's like, well, it's like a supercomputer, decentralized finance. You can run smart contracts. And at the time when I heard this, it's just like, you know, like the Charlie Brown kind of voices. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Like when you say decentralized finance, like that sounds really cool. But what does that even mean? When you say smart contracts, like there's dumb contracts. When when you say like you know th- these buzzwords that they toss around and they assume that you should know what they are immediately, and so I started digging into to Ethereum. I said, oh, you know, if he if he really recommends this, I'll look into it. And as I started, you know, you read about Bitcoin and it's like deflationary, decentralized. Click click, yeah, I want that. When I started reading about uh, Ethereum. It was like click after click after click. Like it just it just made so much sense to me. And I think part of that is because I've always wanted to own a bank. I, I, my um, education is Bachelor of Commerce. I have a degree in Bachelor of Commerce from the University of Alberta. I specialize in management and information systems, and then a minor in uh, organizational uh, change management, something like that. So during the summer, I would do uh, business surveys for like a, a local revitalization kind of a government organization where they'd say, hey, can you go through, interview these businesses, see what they're struggling with, see what they're doing well with, profile their business, get at least contact information and stuff. So I went along Wide Avenue in in, in Edmonton. And we're going into different stores and shops and, you know, hairdressers, retail outlets, shoe stores, even dentists. And then I come across um, uh, Cash Money was the was the store. It was a payday loan place, right? So I go into there, and uh, I'm just like, you know, you look at the the rates that they're posting up there, right? And it's like essentially comes up to twenty percent. I'm like, oh man, like they're <laughs> printing money, like they're you know in. in not they're printing money not from the sense of inflationary but they're they're printing money from the sense of they're making a lot of money i want that and so i was like that's i want that yeah that's that's the kind of business that i would love it kind of just resonates with me so anyways i've i've just always had a thing for for so I love banks love bank stocks um those types of things and in canada the banks make up the vast majority of our stock market. So you, we're we're banks and we're we're energy. You take those two away and there's not much left. And so in Canada, all you have to do is is buy our index and you've got banks. It's done. It's taken care of. So along comes Ethereum and I'm reading about it and it's talking about decentralized. So I can actually participate in this because it's decentralized, right? Like I can own a node. I can own a, a part of the network. You, I can, you can do loans on this thing. 
there's you can do insurance you know all the smart contracts start to come to life where and so in and a smart contract is let's let's program some money together so let's say you and i we may make a bet i don't know what what's the weather going to be like tomorrow is there going to be an earthquake tomorrow or if there is an earthquake you give me 10 ethereum tomorrow comes along and if there is no no earthquake then nothing happens right and so or if the weather is a particular temperature the money moves right or let's buy a house let's settle on the price for it say $400,000 if the conditions are met move the money from one one holder to the other and this can all happen without an intermediary third party so it can there's no need to have to have trust in any one other party right it's just like i have the money i'm going to send it to you it's going to be guaranteed it's going to cost 10 bucks and it's going to be nearly instant you know it takes about 5 to 10 minutes and so and you start to read like down their roadmap of where they want to go with this right so right now they're mining and we can get into that later if you want to but they want to go to proof of stake which is you it'll use 99% less energy and so that's like the the knife in the back of bitcoin right so bitcoin the problem with bitcoin is the energy consumption i'm sure most of your readers or listeners uh will be aware of the energy impact of bitcoin and how much terawatts of energy it uses but ethereum's going proof of stake which is highly energy efficient and it's going to uh, you know international settlement of assets on almost no energy consumption for next to no fees like it's going to they yes the fees are high right now but they're going to lower those down as they go forward they're going to introduce sharding so they'll be able to distribute the network in a more efficient manner and so they'll be able to do up to 100,000 transactions every second and visa does 3,000 every second now not that it's going to be a competitor with visa but if you think it could support the entire visa network on top of it plus all the DeFi, plus all the exchanges plus all of those types of all at the same time no problem for for super low cost and it's like that sounds that sounds awesome i'd love to be a part of that and it's like you can you can own a piece of it and as soon as i i, I, I don't know it's, when i read went through the white paper and read about it on the ethereum foundation it's like click 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 i'm like are you kidding me and they're like but you need 32 ethereum if you're going to do this and uh, i don't know curtis i uh, when i heard it's just i felt so drawn to it i i've never like you know I've done a lot of different investments in my time, you know, VTI, a rental here, um, a bond fund here, this kind of thing. I'll get roasted for saying that, on, but it's okay. It's it's true. <laughs> I, I do have some bonds, but it just, uh, I felt so pulled, so, so pulled. And, uh, you know, I, I did Bitcoin first, got some there. Yeah, great, awesome. Learned about Ethereum and it just like, I couldn't stop. I had to have the 32. I had to stake it. I had to get a get my own node. And uh, the first few Ethereum were quite cheap. It was about $800 when I started going in. I think I got around 1000 1200 And then 
in March or so or April of last year, the last four cost me 3K per Ethereum. And those ones really hurt a lot. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, you're getting zero for your money. It really felt like I was getting just like dust, you know, like you're. But, you know, I was in that far. I was like, well, you got to finish it off. You got to get her done. And so I did it. And then on April 29th is when the I set up the node and it went live. And I've been staking Ethereum ever since. That's cool that it goes back all the way to your university time of your your interest in banks and this payday experiment. I didn't realize that it went back to that point. So that's cool to that's cool to see. And then it's like you got that goal immediately just started chipping away at that goal, you know. And it's like you got it and it's almost like it was like a thorn in your side that you just like had to get this 32. Is that what it felt like? Uh yeah, it uh, when I researched and thought about Ethereum, I really felt a pull towards it. It was super it's a little difficult to explain, but it just it felt so so drawn to it. And I know to other people that's gonna sound this guy's crazy and I understand that. But that's the only way I can really describe it. So a thorn in your side, yeah, that's maybe how a good way to, to describe it. It's just like I couldn't shake it. I felt so pulled towards it, like it was, it had me on a rope and it was just pulling me toward it. And it just, it felt like, yes, you need to do this. This is, this is it. This is part of it. You need to do this. This is part of your goal. This is going to deliver on your goal. Follow it, do it. And so, yeah, it just, it, it just felt so strong about it. And then after I finished that, um, one fellow I follow on YouTube is called Invest Answers, and he is an incredible mind, um, very, very deep into crypto, um, and he really espouses the value of, of Bitcoin and being invested in Bitcoin. And so the whole while I'm accumulating Ethereum, I'm listening to him, and he's telling me that... Um, you need to be a whole coiner that there's going to be, there will only ever be 350,000 people in the world who will own one Bitcoin or more. And every time Michael Saylor jumps in, you know, with, you know, 150, 250, $500 million from my uh, micro strategy and he buys up however many that Bitcoin is, they're going to be on that day. It just lowers the probability that you're ever going to get one because they're so scarce. And so once I finish the Ethereum node and I've got that up and running and it just does it, I don't even touch it. Like it, seriously, it, it burns 35 watts and just it updates itself when it's London hard fork or Berlin hard fork. It just updates itself and goes like it, it's super low maintenance. Let that thing run. And then I'm like, okay, all right. I got, I understand the Bitcoin story. Uh, I've read the Bitcoin standard. And so I want to have I want to have a Bitcoin, and so that's been my last focus for the last uh, since April, right? Is getting getting a Bitcoin and stuff. So been so, and I'm I'm rounding that off now. And so uh, I think I've got enough crypto in the portfolio. It's at 18 percent right now. So I got the Ethereum node. I do have more than a than a full Bitcoin now, and so. I think it's time to kind of just let those those sit and let them go and let them do their thing now. And so um, 
you know, some guys are talking about altcoins and some different ones and stuff. And I just, I really have a hard time seeing past Ethereum and Bitcoin, you know, like I look at it from like a, from a stock market kind of sector thing. I got Bitcoin with the store of value, scarcity, it's got lightning network potential. That's cool. And then there's Ethereum with DeFi. And I don't know. I don't see, I get, you know, all these other altcoins are just variations of the same thing. They all move in tandem when, you know, like I, I tweeted the other few days ago that like when Bitcoin sneezes, you know, all the, alt, <laughs> <laughs> all the, all, all the alt, altcoins fart. Nobody moves against it. Like Bitcoin dies 5% and they all go dive 10%. It's like, what am I getting if I buy an altcoin? It's just more beta. I don't need that. That's so true as far as the network goes and as far as all these all these coins and it makes it hard to hard to know what's what's truly going on I think for the average person because because it does all look like the same thing and it all flows together. So, let's kind of circle back to the basis of the bare bones of like what what is Bitcoin and you you talk about being a store of value. Yeah. So okay. Now I'm feeling like a Michael Saylor a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, this is this is just my opinion. This is how I kind of see it. Uh so the the Bitcoin network is uh one of the biggest networks, computer networks in the world. Uh, you know, in terms of computational power and like um the hash rate that it has. So the hash rate is just kind of how many computational cycles it's doing every second and i think it's into the exo hash rate uh per second right now so it's it's you're getting it's almost getting immeasurable right so it's it's <laughs> extremely powerful and it's just a whole bunch of computers doing the exact same thing and it consumes an enormous amount of electricity and with all of this computational power they're only generating 900 coins every day and so one coin represents, in my mind, one coin represents that computational power for that given day and that given consumption of electricity. So one Bitcoin, in some ways, does embody uh, electrical energy and computational power. And every day that it gets more scarce, so in 2024, it'll get halved. The daily mining rate will get halved, or the block reward, as they call it, will get halved. And so there's 900 today in 2024, it'll get halved down to 450. And so if you think the replacement value or the replacement cost, I should say, of that next Bitcoin is going to get more expensive. So as um, as more computers come online, the network that increases uh, the replacement cost, right? Because it's going to cost more computers now in order to make the next Bitcoin. And as you go forward in time and the halving rate hits in, it's going to drastically increase uh, the amount of electro electrical energy that's required in order to generate the next Bitcoin. And then in 2050, uh, it goes down to seven. So the daily mining, the block reward will go down the daily, you know, some total of the block rewards will go down to seven. And so what's what? In my, in my mind, and I could be off on this, but in my mind, Bitcoin is, is is that embodiment of electrical and computational power, and you're you're putting it into this 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 Bitcoin. 
so to say, right? And so and then it's a bet that in the future, the replacement value is going to go up. And that's what makes it deflationary. And that's what makes it more scarce as it, as it heads into the future, right? And then you contrast that against an inflationary currency. And there's only one way that that's going to go. So that's how it's storing value, right? So it's, it's storing electrical and computational energy. And then it, it's able to hold it. And then tomorrow it's more scarce, so then the value should be even more. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a house, right? So that house that you bought in like 1950, if you bought a house in 1950, costs like five grand. There's no way you're getting a house now for five grand because the replacement cost is just so high now. And that's kind of the, a very similar analogy to where where Bitcoin goes is that, is that replacement cost for me. Yeah, and I think I think people struggle with that value because it's up. It's like on a computer. It's like not yeah. anything that's that's not anything that's tangible. But that is why you see Bitcoin compared to gold is because you know that gold is that physical asset that people can actually put their hands on. And so that comparison of being a store of value and being a, an, an inflationary uh, asset, you know, or a hedge against that inflation is something is, is where that connection comes in. So it's probably the number one thing. It's like, you know, the, the proof of work energy consumption, and also too, that there's nothing you can really hold. It's imaginary. It's internet fairy money. So with it being digital, a protocol, there's something very elegant that comes with it. And that's price and elasticity. So it, it has perfect, perfect, price inelasticity, meaning no matter what you do to the price, 900 coins are going to get mined today. 900 coins are going to get mined tomorrow. So let's dig into that a little further. So the price doubles today, or you bring on double the miners, still 900 coins are being mined tomorrow. You do that to gold. You do that to silver. You do that to any commodity. It's going to change the daily supply pretty quickly. The price of oil doubles, or you bring on twice as many oil rigs, or you increase the supply of houses, you double those, or you double the price of homes, uh, you double the stock price, right? It's going to, you, you, you know, you saw that with AMC, you know, their stock price takes off. And then they, what they, the first thing they wanted to do was issue more stock. You see where I'm going? So Bitcoin has it perfect. It's perfect and it's locked in. No matter what happens tomorrow, 900 coins. We don't care. It's 900. And that's going to continue to 24. And then it gets halved to 450. And it goes like that for another four years. And there's no there's no other asset that has that. So that's the the benefit of it being digital and being programmed perfectly like that is that it has that absolute control. Where it's not a physical commodity, you can't you can't replicate it, you can't forge it. Yeah, you compare that with oil and gas, which which again I'm familiar with here in Oklahoma. You're in that industry up in Canada. Of the consistent problem that you see is the price goes up, so people start producing significantly more. They uh, they flood the market, and then the price crashes again. It's this supply and demand issue that we deal with the same thing could be said for the housing market. While I know some of the housing boom and bust was related to mortgages, there's also supply issues that related to that as well, right? You, 
there's 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 a limited number of houses that can be built and so you see people build and they overbuild and then things crash back down because there's not enough people to buy those houses and it's again that cycle that we constantly see and that constant supply of bitcoin is what helps protect against our human our human nature in reality right yeah yeah exactly exactly right you know like i have um uh i have a rental uh, it's a condo i've had it for since 2004 and i bought it for 142 uh it went up to 265 really kicking myself i didn't sell it at that point <laughs> and it's gone down to it went right back down to 139 or something like that like 130 or in the 120s and then it's now back up to like 190 and the reason why it's fluctuated like that is because my local area they passed laws where they want to constrain single family homes they want to they don't want people they don't want the city to crawl out they want it to go up and so they've passed laws uh, that have incentivized more condos and more apartments, increases the supply. My condo is not as scarce. Therefore, it's, the price is lower. And so like real estate is, is I mean, it, it, that's a terrific asset. Like it's, you know, best wealth generator you can, you can hang your hat on, right? If, if, you, if you ask me what's the one thing you could do you know, only one asset you you could invest in, it would be real estate. Like I've made more off that than any other thing. Like you can whip it time and time again, right? Because it's like, it goes up in value, take the equity out, put it in the, in the stock market on, on a dip, right? Or like your primary home goes up in value, you know, grab the equity, put it in the stock market and stuff. Like when I just did, I did my net worth article last week and stuff and there's there's some home equity and there's some rental equity there and it's not that great it's it's not it's because i've taken it out and i put it into the stock market when there's when there's a dip and stuff right and so but real estate isn't as perfect as bitcoin even with the supply and demand and it's because local laws can change supply and demand dynamics can change and so with the bitcoin story the supply dynamic will not change it's the demand dynamic that's all that's going to change there so it's like how how much do are people going to demand it into the future so that that's you know because the supply curve has been drawn out into the future as far as it can go it's all about demand now yeah and that's the question i think that a lot of people uh, that a lot of people have but let's go back real quick you know you mentioned how the laws had been changed in canada related to housing i know that's a concern the regulation of Bitcoin across the world yeah. really is a concern for a lot of people. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I know that's for sure. That's, that's the biggest, in my mind, that is the biggest risk of Bitcoin and it, it could be a victim of its own success that it is so perfect and it is so locked in decentralized. It's, it's such a threat to the central banks, right? Like when you hear, what's it called the European central bank union or whatever, like they had a ECIB or something like that. I forget what it was, but they had like, you know, all the European central bankers get together and they talked and they talked about how uh, Bitcoin's going to zero, uh, only put money in there that you're willing to lose. You know, they're not talking about random stocks or, or uh, random 
investments that you could be putting your money into. It's like, why, why do you guys even care about Bitcoin? And it's because it's a direct threat to them. It's a direct threat to the monopoly system that they have with, uh, with fiat currency, money issuance. And um, so in my mind, yeah, the biggest, the biggest threat to Bitcoin is that it is such a threat that uh, it gets banned or it gets regulated. It changes the dynamic, or sorry, the demand uh, side of the equation on there. Because we were saying before, the supply side is already set. That's already done. We know what the supply is going to be. It's all about the demand side of Bitcoin. And so what could change the demand? Um, well, we have, you know, the Latin American countries and the other coming online and wanting to, to get into it. It's if the, the G7 countries or the G8 countries, if they want to... Um, if they decide to ban it or restrict it or something like that. So, you know, if in the United States, they banned gold at one point, confiscated it, wanted you to turn it in for, for dollars. Um, there's nothing to say they couldn't try and do the same thing. And while I think Bitcoin could um, withstand that just being due to its decentralized nature and it's, you know, worldwide and, you know, countries like El Salvador etc are going to always support it now going forward and they'll always welcome miners and support miners if the u.s passes a law banning its citizens from owning bitcoin that's going to really change the dynamic right like so micro strategy what are you going to do you're going to drop all your bitcoin that's going to change the uh that's going to change the dynamic there so yeah no for sure it's a it's definitely a risk with the with the space is that um, laws get passed or regulations get passed that ban or restrict or change and uh, it's going to definitely impact the dynamic of uh, the demand side of, of Bitcoin and then once that happens that's going to change the space right that's going to impact Ethereum that's going to impact all of all the cryptocurrencies yeah and, and and it's one of those deals where that's that's definitely going to impact the price the question that you have when it comes to uh, regulation is, you know, the price is going to drop when that happens, if they were to do something. But the question now is with, with an El Salvador making it their, um, making it their currency with all of these companies buying in, at what point has it gone too far for them to realistically be able to do that? And I don't think anyone knows the answer to that question. I think that's almost an impossible question to ask. But you almost have to wonder if it's if it's to the point of adoption that that they would hurt economies and everything too much. Yeah, you. Yeah, no, it's a really good point, and I had thought about that too. So let's say you have 10, 10 countries that have adopted it as legal tender, right? And then the U.S. comes out and says we're banning Bitcoin. Well, now you just inadvertently impacted ten economies. And, you know, they might be willing to do it and just say, no, we don't give a crap. You signed up for that thing. You get to deal with it. And Michael Saylor, Michael Strategy, like, we're sorry you took this leveraged bet on Bitcoin, but it's the bet you took. So you get to deal with it, you know. And I think the U.S. would be more than willing to see one or two or three or five companies tank if it means keeping the monopoly on their currency. They will protect that. At all costs, they really will. You know, like, you know, n powerful nation states they go to war over this kind of stuff, right? And I know that sounds alarming or that uh, uh, sensationalizes it, but you got to think back in the day, 
They went to war for gold. Yeah. They'll do it for this too. So I, I've had a couple of DMs with a, a few people back and forth of just, you know, where does this go? You know, fast forward 10 years from now, where is this going? You have more and more countries adopting this. And I really see it going one of two ways. Either, yeah, full on, it could go to war over this. Where countries that have adopted it go against countries that don't ad- that don't adopt it. Because they're basing their value on this. And then the countries that are feeling threatened from it feel threatened for it. And they want to defend their monopoly on their currency and their right to print. And their right to control their citizens. Like, it just, it's just the way it is. Money controls. It is. And so either that or it just it becomes a peaceful reserve asset that, that that countries can adopt if they want to. And they can hold it in reserve and they can borrow against it if they need to. Or they can issue social programs against it if they wish to. Or buy some and bring it in and hold it in reserve. That sort of a thing. So I really, I, I, I don't see... You know, it's going to sound like a pun, but I see binary. Uh, I see Bitcoin as a binary asset down the line. It's going to go. It's going to have a strong effect either way, one way or the other. And I think it's a good bet to take. I, I've obviously taken that bet that I think it's going to have a positive outcome down the line, or that it'll at least have a massive surge right before it cracks. But for the characteristics we already talked about, with it having pr- perfect price and elasticity. Uh, the supply is defined and prescribed into the future up to 2140. For those reasons, like it's not going to go away peacefully. You have this perfect asset. It's online incredibly fast. If you haven't used the Lightning Network, you're going to have your hat blown off the first time you use it. Some guy on Twitter sent me a thousand Satoshis, which is like $4. and No, not even. I don't know. 40 cents or something like that. You send it to me. And I, I think the money arrived to me faster than his DM saying that he sent it to me and it didn't even cost him a penny. So if I can remit money from Canada to the U S or from U S to El Salvador for not even a penny. And it takes not even like not even 10 seconds. Like there's a tremendous use case right there. Right, like this, this, this thing has it has a tremendous power to um, to change a lot of the um, dynamics of, of 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 money and currency going forward. And so, fast forward it ten years from now, it's going to have um, it's either gonna, yeah, it's going to have a dramatic outcome. And and so that future looks like each each of these companies, you know, some will obviously adopt it as their main currency, but then will look like you know, places like the U S and these bigger currencies, it running alongside those and being a support network to those currencies, and then potentially replacing different elements of banking to make the system more efficient. Is that, is that basically some, yeah, let me, let me share this with you. So, um, like I work with a few people online, right? So like with, with my, with my website, with Twitter, promoting content creation, Etc. Right? There's, you know, it's a bit of a team effort type of type of thing, right? And so, when it comes time for payment and stuff, I'll say, hey, do you? I'll always open with, well, they'll take PayPal. They'll ask them, do you take Bitcoin? And all of them have said yes. 
they'll take Bitcoin. Okay, great. Awesome. I'd love to give you Bitcoin, but I don't want to give you Bitcoin. But the fact that you take Bitcoin, cool. Right? Awesome. That means you're crypto. So why don't I send you USDT? So I get my foot in with the with the Bitcoin intro, and then I can say, well, I don't want to actually really give you Bitcoin because it's in my mind it's scarce. And I want to hold it. I want to keep that forever. I don't want to give you any Satoshis. But I'll give you USDT, which for your listeners, that's like a stable coin. It's backed with the US dollar. So what I'll do is I'll borrow against my Bitcoin, raise the USDT, and I'll send them that money. And then days down the line, a week or two later, I'll move money from my bank account to the exchange and pay the USDT back. So I'm already using Bitcoin as a reserve, as a collateral asset. So I'll borrow against it already. And the interest rate's horrible. I think it's like 8% or something like that. But if it's like two weeks or so, like I'll, you know, borrow 150 bucks and I'll pay back $150 and 50 cents. Like I don't care about 50 cents. Like, right. I just don't want to pay the, the Bitcoin fees and transfers and I don't want to lose my Bitcoin too. So I'm already using it as a reserve. That's, that's cheaper than doing that transaction bank to bank in a lot of cases or PayPal to whatever. I mean, it's, you know, again, that goes back to uh, the efficiency of the system, the cost of the system. Uh, obviously, we're in a place now where there can be crazy high cost in transferring Bitcoin. Well, or but, I'm, but, I'm, but go ahead. And I'm Canadian. Most of the people I'm working with aren't Canadian. They're from India. They're from Europe. And obviously the United States. Do, do you want my Canadian dollars? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. I hardly want them. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's kind of talk Ethereum a little bit. And we've, with Bitcoin, I think we got our ri- minds wrapped around the concept of the cryptocurrency and, and just the, the benefits of all this. But let's talk about the benefits of Ethereum. Yeah, so so Bitcoin is that dumb store of value, peer-to-peer currency, online money, store of value, scarcity. Uh, Ethereum really is that... uh, You thought I was just going to give it all away there, but you need to come back next week for some more in-depth talk about Ethereum, about the way these cryptocurrencies work, about staking, about mining. We do a deep dive into all things cryptocurrency, and I really think you're going to enjoy the second half. We wrap up our conversation talking about uh, where we think it'll be in the coming years, uh, what uh, we suggest that people do, and some tips and tricks uh, for getting involved in cryptocurrency. So I would really enjoy if you could come back next week. A reminder that I have opened up pre-orders for my Money and Marriage ebook that's being released October 27th. So if you are interested in procuring that, go back and listen to my last episode where I kind of launched that. You'll get a little freebie there if you listen to that and follow those instructions. So go listen to episode 14 for that. Without further ado, 
I'm going to wrap this episode up. I want to thank you so much for joining. Please subscribe and share this podcast with someone that you think could gain value from the content. Until next week, remember healthy financial decisions are intentional financial decisions. Intentional decisions this week lead to a healthy financial future. Start today and we'll see you next week.